Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Kinks and Beats Daily. I'm your host. Uh. Okay, that's like the third time that's done that. I don't know what the problem is. Make a note to check that out uh, after I finish recording this. Anyway, hello. This is Kinks and Beats Daily. I am your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 208. And today we're talking about Denmark Street by the Kinks. Um, as I, as you know by now, we are going through uh, All Things Must Pass by George Harrison and Lola versus Power Man and the Money Go Around Part 1 by the Kinks. And this is track three, released November 27th, 1970. And um, I love this track. This is a great little track. The most prevalent theme of the Lola album is the music business. There's several tracks devoted to specific aspects of the business, and, and Ray clearly thinks this business is rotten. This just this track is the first of the more obvious thematic pieces. I mean, he's literally naming streets and and company. You know, he's like he's he's bringing it to a specific geographical location, um, which is Denmark Street. And so, for my friends in England. Please bear with me as I go through this next bit. I apologize for any mispronunciations, but I'm hoping that my repeated viewings of Ted Lasso will help me with a couple of these. So Denmark Street is in London's West End, and the West End is a lot like America's Broadway. It's where the theater district is, and and if you've got the equivalent to a Broadway show in England would be in the West End. And it's been around for hundreds of years. The street. It's not a new street because London's not a new city. But by the 1950s, it had really become synonymous with the music business. And where West End is the equivalent to Broadway, Denmark Street became the equivalent to Tin Pan Alley, which was in America um, like the ground zero for popular music. Every popular song that was written and published in the late 1800s and early 1900s came from Tin Pan Alley. They were just churning out hits. Um, And so Denmark Street eventually becomes a place where all the music publishers and songwriters and agents uh, were all in residence. And in those days, and it still happens like this to an extent, but not to the level that it does now, but the publishers employed songwriters. And then those songwriters, their job was to churn out songs and record demos and then those would get used, you know, um, A&R guys from the, the record companies would pick these songs out and say, all right, this one's a good one for this band and this one's a good one for that singer. And and that's how the music business ran for a long time, really until the Beatles and the Kinks came around. And um, a lot of guys got their start there. You know, uh, uh, Elton John and Bernie Taupin were a little bit later in the industry. Um you know, late sixties were so- a songwriting partnership on Denmark street. So, I mean, and Carol King was, a um, the same, the American equivalent of, of a publishing house songwriter, in-house songwriter. So the first publisher named Lawrence Wright moved there in 1911. And in 1926, he would found the trade paper melody maker. And so now we've got publishing and, print media, music media on Denmark Street. Um, The New Musical Express, or NME, 
was founded in 1952, also on Denmark Street. And um, you'll know both of these, I'm sure, both of these papers, but it's big stuff. This is like Billboard and Rolling Stone, right? This is big stuff or variety or something like that. By the time the Kinks and the Beatles, um, a lot of the music publishing side of things had begun to fade because fewer and fewer acts required outside songwriters. You know, the Beatles and the Kinks didn't ever record a song that was written by an outside songwriter. Now, they did covers that were written by a lot of these guys from uh, New York or Denmark Street. But those were covers of bands that they knew, you know, that was a, a uh, you know, whatever. They were cover songs, but nobody wrote a song for those bands specifically. Um, so it was in this time that uh, Regent Sound Studio, which was built in 1961, but it was mostly for um, the publishers to record their demos to, to then send off to A&R guys. Um, it began to be used by rock bands, and the Stones recorded their entire first album at Regent Studios on Denmark Street. And then eventually, because you know, it gained a little bit more popularity, and obviously they realized that was a moneymaker, uh, the studio eventually expanded and moved to Tottenham Court Road which you've probably heard of before if you've heard this song. So the studios on Denmark Street eventually become a breeding ground for the country's top session musicians. Uh, Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones, who will eventually form Led Zeppelin, got their start as session guys there. People like Nicky Hopkins, these, these famous English session people, all were recording on Denmark Street. So now you've got music publisher, songwriters, session guys and a bunch of studios popping up they're playing and they're, they're popping these uh studios up in, in basements of publishing companies and the kinks actually recorded you really got me in one of those studios on denmark street in a basement so there's more than that though because when you have a collection of things like this where it's all in one industry then other things start popping up. So like there's the uh, uh, Geoconda Cafe where musicians would gather. And this is not a new thing, even in 1960-whatever. You know, there's a stories of um, classical composers meeting at a cafe in France and, and, and having these group conversations and stuff. Um, there's a name for it, and I'm completely blanking on what it is right now. So, you know, having a place for musicians to congregate is a, a centuries-old tradition, and Denmark Street had it too. And in that cafe, um, David Bowie f- hires his first backing band. The Small Faces are formed. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that, like, it becomes kind of its own little ecosystem, you know? And eventually, it's at some point or another in their careers, it plays home to the Kinks, the Stones, Paul Simon, Elton and Bernie, the Sex Pistols, and so many more. Um, like every musician from an, uh, that era at some point passes through Denmark Street or has some sort of connection to Denmark Street. And if half of what I said sounded vaguely familiar, it's probably because Ray references a ton of the important parts of Denmark Street and its surrounding area in this song as well as Top of the Pops um, later on the album. But this song, this track opens with a straight-up GPS of the street. 
down the way from the Tottenham Court Road, just around the corner from Old Soho. And then he goes on to describe the business of music publishing. And the song is about as tongue-in-cheek as you can get because it's written like an old Tin Pan Alley song from the turn of the last century. So he is talking about this outdated system, this out-of-touch system, by using the same style of music that that system created however many years before, 30, 40, 50, 60 years before. It's pretty clever. Um, it's easily one of my favorite tracks on the album, though a lot of the tracks on this album can claim that distinction. And I wish it went on just a little bit longer. It's two minutes long. It's the second shortest song on the album behind Money Go Around, which I also adore. Um, but if you listen to it, the band sounds so good on this track, and I could listen to a whole lot more. And I think it's important to note that despite Ray having written a song for an old-time vaudeville review, the band is playing as a rock band. It's not a pastiche, really. You know, not like we'll get um, with Muswell, Hillbillies, and everybody's in show business where he's got the Dixieland horn section and everything. This is just a rock song that's got some old bones to it. I mean, listen to Avery's drumming, uh, Gosling's brilliant piano. I love the piano work on this track. And Dave's almost country-like guitar playing. He's playing an electric guitar. If you're listening on headphones, it's it's hard panned um, to the left, I believe. But it's going the whole time. It's this real country-inspired electric guitar. Um, but if you just listen to those three guys and the bass, obviously, that's a rock band in peak performance. And they're playing behind a Ray Davies melody that could have just as easily been from 1930 as it was from 1970. I think musically it almost feels like it's a continuation of the track. She's bought a hat, a hat like uh, Princess Marina from Arthur, which was their album right before Lola. It just has that kind of vibe to it where it's like, yeah, it rocks, but it's also kind of swings and it's got these chord changes that kind of make me feel um, like it's got some ragtime to it or something. I think lyrically, it's top-notch Davy snark. You know, in a couple of verses, he transitions from paying homage to the Denmark Street heyday to totally shredding the music industry. You know, he opens with, you can hear that music play anytime on every day, every rhythm, every way, um, which sounds nostalgic. You know, this sounds like a good thing, but then he immediately illustrates the out-of-touch nature of the business with the line, uh, I hate your music and your hair is too long, but I'll sign you up because I'd hate to be wrong. I mean, that pretty much says everything it needs to say, especially at that time in the business. You know, and uh, Zappa would hit a very similar sentiment with uh, Tinseltown Rebellion, where it's, you know, uh, people come to see and not to hear. And Ray's kind of addressing this in 1970, where it's like people are just getting signed because you don't want to miss the next great thing. Every band or every label passed on the Beatles, so nobody wants to make that mistake again. And in the process, a lot of garbage music is getting signed and promoted and, and released. Musically, there's not much to analyze here. Um, the song is basically broken up into two sections. There's the verse and a bridge. <clears throat> and the bridge begins at the part where he goes, you've got a, uh, you got a tune, it's in your head, you want to get it, mate, dun, 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 dun. Um, harmonically, it's also pretty simple. For the verse, Ray pretty much sticks to the primary chords in the key of G. 
Um, but he makes it interesting with the descending bass lines to link the chords. So all that stuff, they got dun, 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 dun. That's just two chords, but he's got these descending bass lines to kind of give it some movement where there isn't really any movement um, from the, from a harmonic stance. I can't stress enough, too. Um, oh, I was, sorry, the bridge still in G. He plays a few old vaudeville tricks with the chords that... Um, that G to the E major, which we talked about, I believe, in Strangers. I think uh, Dave used that same chord progression. That's a very kind of old-fashioned little trick because it just goes chromatically. Dun, 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 dun. Um, but it's cool, and it works here. But that's really the only deviation from the key of G that, that there really is in this song. He, he really sticks to just one, four, five. So harmonically, it's cool, but it's not much to write home about. The greatness of this song is in the lyrics and the performance. And as always, I have to tell you, listen loud on headphones. It's a good performance, and it's a good listen. And at two minutes long, just hit it on repeat. Listen to it a couple times. Uh, The track wasn't released on any singles. I mean, it would have been a cool B-side, but this was never going to be an A-side single, obviously. Uh, And it's rarely included in any compilations. I think I found one compilation that it was included on. But it was included in the West End musical Sunny Afternoon, which, if you don't know, is a, uh, a jukebox musical that uses Kink's songs and tells their story. Uh, and it appears on their cast recording. Their version's a bit slower, so I don't think it has the energy of the performance um, of the Kinks. And I think the song suffers a little bit because of that, but it is a solid rendition. It's fun. That's about all I all I've got for this one. I mean, it's a two minute song that I just spent fifteen minutes talking about, so that's uh, that seems fair. But it's it's a great one. I love this song. I've always liked this song. It's one that immediately when I first listened to this album, uh, immediately I gravitated towards because I do like that old stuff. I like old Tin Pan Alley songs, so this is kind of the best of both worlds for someone who likes rock music and old, you know, nineteen twenties stuff. If you uh, if you have thoughts on this song or any of the songs we've covered, give me a call, 925-494-1739. Email me, kinksandbeats at herohabit.com. You can visit Hero Habit to find all of the uh, episodes that we've already done. Just click under the um, podcast button at the top of the page. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook. We have a Facebook group, Instagram, and we now have a new subreddit, um, r slash hero habit where all these um, podcast episodes can be discussed and of course if you um, would like to help us keep the studio running and keep tackling away at these discographies uh, maybe consider swing by herohabit.com slash shop and contributing five bucks um, for all the episodes we've done all right until we talk again have a great day This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes. Every single time. What is wrong with this soundboard? I really did not record it at variable speed.